Welcome to another episode of Mind on the Game, a sports event podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with men and women from across the sporting landscape. We discuss their sporting journeys, their mental health and how they keep their mind on the game. It's a family affair for this episode of Mind on the Game because I'm checking in with my own cousin, Lucas Burns. Lucas is half Swedish, half English, and is the only branch of my family that is not purely East London. Lucas is currently studying for a master's in IT and management at Ling Choping University, but growing up, he was quite a handy handball player. Up until the age of 15, Lucas almost took the decision to pursue it full-time and become professional. In this episode, we discuss how handball shaped Lucas's identity growing up, the big life decision he faced age 15 about taking it more seriously, retirement and team culture. Lucas also moved around a few times when he was young, first living in England before moving to Wales, then to Cyprus and then back to Sweden where he lives now. We discuss the positives of those moves, being bilingual and being forced to adapt into different cultures and social dynamics. We also discuss the period of depression he went through during the pandemic and a bit of family chat too as we look probably more like brothers than cousins. Well, at least that's what people tell us when we've been put together. Here's how this episode of Mind on the Game went down. Lucas, welcome to Mind on the Game, cuz. I know how excited you were when we chatted before this pod, so I hope it lives up to the expectations. First off, how are you keeping in Sweden? How's your Masters going as we... Probably haven't seen each other face-to-face since, what, Christmas Day 2019, right? That's right, that's right. No, it's going good, it's going good. Nothing much happening, really. I'm just doing my master's thesis now, and that's pretty much the only thing I'm doing with school. I've finished all my courses, so just working on that, Monday to Friday. And then uh, not too much happening now, is it? It's COVID, not a lot of things to do. Yeah, you're definitely right, Cuz. We've got a lot to get through on this episode, so shall we just crack on? You play or used to play a very unique sport growing up in Sweden, Lucas, which isn't played a lot of other places, I guess, popularity wise, which is handball. Can you tell the listeners what handball is, maybe the rules, and then you first got into playing and enjoying it? Yeah, so handball is quite a popular sport in Europe, Central Europe, South Europe, and uh, Northern, like Scandinavia. So it's a game where you play seven against seven on like a mini football pitch. It's like a combination between football and basketball. You bounce a ball to move around, you throw the ball to your teammates, like you do in basketball or in football, and you throw the ball at a goal to score and there's a goalkeeper there which is like in basketball you throw in hoop and in football you kick the ball it's sort of a combination between that like bouncing the ball and the rules is you bounce the ball to move or you throw the ball and you're not allowed to bounce it pick it up and then bounce it but like when you start bouncing you have to keep on bouncing it you're not allowed to go into this goalkeeper area so like you have to jump into that and you're not allowed to hit the floor before you throw. So it's a lot of like jumping and throwing and a lot of movement in the game generally. It's a game where you play 30 minutes a half and not effective time like in football. The clock stops if there's something going on. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You get two minute suspensions if you do something bad and if you get three of them, you get a red card and then you're out. But that doesn't mean that you play the whole game with one man less. You only play the game one man less for two minutes. That's about it. As you played more and got older, how did your love for the sport grow and what impact did it have on your mental health during your adolescence? Was it maybe a positive distraction, escapism or something deeper? I mean, it was just something I really, really loved to do. I, I always like loved to play sports. It, it's funny because I started when I was 12 and a lot of people that start sports generally and get good at them, they start when they're a bit younger and then they sort of are just in the sport but when I started when I was 12 I remember I was seeing it on telly and stuff because when we lived in England and in and Cyprus there was no teams so it was not really a popular sport we only seen it on telly like at the Olympics or things like that I always thought it looked so much fun and that I would be good because I was always good at throwing a tennis ball so I thought why wouldn't I be good at throwing a handball when we moved to Sweden my mum looked up this club where we moved and I went to train and then I remember it was a funny story actually that the trainer then because my mum stayed just to watch and see how it went for me it's like new language new friends so I remember the coach asked my mum so how long has uh, Lucas played handball for or where has he played before 
And she said, no, he, he hasn't played. He's never picked up a handball, to be honest. And he was like, really? All right, we have to keep him, keep him on because he thought that I, how, like I was a natural in that, like at 12 years old. Just hearing that really, really helped me. It sort of spurred me on to keep on going. And then from that, as you got better, as you started making friends within the sport and as it kept on playing, it just sort of, your love just sort of gradually grew for the game. And then like, it wasn't really a form of escapism, I would say. It was more that I felt like I was doing something I, I loved and I was doing something that I was good at. And that really gave me a boost in the other parts of my of my day. Just having the having an identity that I'm, I'm a kid that does sports sort of automatically threw me up this social ladder, even though I was like new to the town and even though I was the kid that didn't know that good Swedish because he was English and got into these sort of cliques where people were, they saw that you were good, they respected you. And then that sort of spilled over to everything else because you sort of started to respect yourself. You played for two local clubs, Christineham and Helton, including with players who were a couple years above you at that age, which is quite a big jump, to be honest, when people think about it, to like 13 to 15, for example. Can you tell me about the experiences at these clubs, both positive and negative, and then maybe walk me through your first ever match at either of those clubs too? The first one, it was like when I was 12 to, it was like my, where I played most of my handball in Christenham is a little town. Handball isn't that big there. A very few people play there and depending on, from year to year, it's like bigger, smaller teams. But then in the end, people stop in or people are like more into football because it's a winter sport and football is a summer sport. So sometimes people will play football in the summer and handball in the winter or hockey in the winter. It, it depends, but... So a lot of people stopped when they started getting more serious, maybe in football or in their, in another sport. It sort of went from being quite a lot of people to being like just one team with a couple of subs. And then the year after, we didn't have enough players in my age group. So we had to sort of go together with, so I'm born 96, we had to go together with the 95s. And then I think there was someone born 94 as well, because there was only like two 94s that played handball anymore there in Christenham. So I remember playing the first time I got to play with the older kids, even though they were just one year older. It was a good team. I remember they were they were always winning their conference or what you would call it, their series. And they were always top of the table and they were always beating the better teams that my age group couldn't beat. I remember it was like, it was really tough starting to play with them because they had their starting seven or what you would say, like starting six plus goalkeeper. And it was so hard to sort of break into that team. And then I obviously had to start playing in like a, an unfavoured position because the bloke that played in my position, he was the best man on the team. And I remember listening to your podcast with him who played cricket and you said that you're just one of these annoying kids that are naturally good at everything. And that was that kid. He was just so good at every single thing he did. He was smart. He was good at handball. He was strong. He could jump like a fucking horse. He could throw the ball really hard. I remember it. I just looked at him and I was like, all right, I'm never going to be better than you, but maybe I, I can learn a lot from you. And then it just sort of went from there. And then it's like gradually when you start gaining more confidence and like starting to play in the team, you started to gain a bit more respect and then maybe they pass you a bit more they, or maybe they would talk to you a bit more and say like, all right, Lucas. Or you, like, you could see from when they went from not thinking to you as any type of baller to like thinking... Right, this guy, he is actually a baller, sort of. Then going to my first game, I remember my first game quite well because I was 12 and it was like early in the morning. I remember getting up early in the morning and driving. It was an away game and we were going to play two matches at the same time or no, two matches straight after each other. I don't know why they did that. They were quite short as well. So we played for two times 20 minutes. So we went to this place that's even smaller playing and we I remember we won with like 20 goals or something I remember scoring my first goal and I remember like thinking okay but is it really this easy but then it turned out because we had a, another kid on our team and he was so much farther ahead than everyone else in puberty so he was like taller stronger and everything and he could just jump over everyone and score all the time he was sort of why we were winning all the time and it it showed when he wasn't playing why we would and that we would lose so we were quite dependent on him. And I remember the first game, I just remember him like scoring goal after goal after goal. And I was like, okay, but how am I going to get better than this bloke? It sort of just 
kicked on from there. When you were a player, Lucas, what mental tools or techniques did you use to ensure you had your mind on the game? I didn't really do that much. I didn't really think of it that much when I was younger. I remember as I was growing up, I never really had a problem with feeling bad within myself or like mentally bad when I was playing. Obviously, playing a bad game or missing a chance that could have been really important or not running fast enough. All these things sort of like add up in your brain and you think, okay, well, if I would have done this battle or this battle, we could have won or something like that. It was always something I look forward to doing. It was always like somewhere I felt safe and somewhere I could like, didn't have to think too much. You have all these other things going on, like school and friends and family. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but Hamble was always just Hamble. It was just sort of a way for me to, me and some friends to talk some shit, play some ball and just have a bit of fun, to be honest. We always talk about the dreaded TFC on Mind on the Game, Lucas. Now, in England, what this means is a thanks for coming. It means you are put on the bench on a game, you don't come on and play any minutes or very few minutes and generally feel pretty useless. So in cricket, for example, it could be that you don't get to bowl and you field all day and maybe you don't get to bat either. Did that ever happen to you? And what did having that TFC have as an impact on your mental health? Yeah, definitely. It happened because in my age group, I was starting player. It's called, I'm not sure what the term is in English, but it's like you're in the middle and you're like a quarterback in uh, football. You always have the ball in your hands and you always say, we're going to do this play now or we're going to do this. And you're always in the centre of it. And that really fit me because I really like to have the ball in my hands and like to control. And if I played without like getting the ball in my hands, I would have been frustrated. But when I started getting up to the team above, but then when we started playing with all the adults as well and started training with them and maybe even played the game a couple of times with them, I remember just sitting on the bench. So it's two times 30 and maybe you get to play five minutes in the end of both halves and that's it and I remember it was just frustrating when you see like okay that bloke isn't playing good I could do this I've seen that defender is slow on the turn or whatever and I could see but it was like frustrating because the coach has got his own plan and the coach knows what he wants to do and if he wants to play me then he does it but if he doesn't if he wants this other player to like play through his rut or whatever then he has to one particular game we were playing it was just like the first game with the first team like the adults i was maybe 17 and uh, i remember i was sitting on the bench the whole game till last or uh, maybe last five minutes it was a really tight game and i remember i came on fresh everyone was tired and it was a really tough game and it's a really physical sport handball it's a bit like rugby in that respect there's a lot of body contact I remember just coming on and then we got the ball and then I just ran as fast as I could up the pitch because I knew everyone else was tired and I hadn't played a second and I was cold. So I just ran all the way up and I remember scoring and it was a big crowd as well that was watching. So I remember just like screaming like the first goal with the first team and it was a really good experience. But I remember that then I forgot that I was on the bench for the whole game. But obviously being on the bench was really frustrating at times but it was also because other people were better than you and then you had to sort of just accept that. When we spoke of air one thing that kept cropping up when we talked about handball was the idea of pressure and the pressure that you felt to perform and maybe the pressure that maybe spilled over into other parts of your life. Can you tell me more about that? Was that internalised within you and then the crossroads moment which you had when you were about 16? I mean, the pressure was never like exerted on me from anyone outside. It was always to me and myself. So it was like, if I could just score this many goals like this bloke did, then maybe I'd be noticed by these people. It's like always something like, what if I was better? What if, what if, what if, what if, from myself? And obviously it was internalized, like mum and dad, they never expected anything from me. They never like put any pressure. They were just there made sure I ate, made sure I got to practice, made sure I did my schoolwork. And my friends were never like prestige full on that either. It was more like, oh, good game. Thanks. It was always nice to hear. Then that crossroads moment, I think that's when Campbell wasn't just a sport anymore. It wasn't just something I did for fun. It was uh, starting to become so serious and you started seeing all these other people that were so serious. You started sort of questioning yourself was like, is this really something that I want to 
put all my energy into and this is something that I want to do professionally. It's like it's not a lot of money in handball, so you're gonna to have to work anyway. And then like getting up in the ages, it's normally like the tall big blokes that get to play. While I'm just why am I five foot eleven and weigh seventy five kilos and maybe could have bulked up a bit, but my biggest strength was being fast and like getting past these guys. But at a certain age that doesn't matter anymore. So that was going into a lot of my thinking when it came to this crossroads moment. And this crossroads moment is like, in Sweden, it's different to England with how like you play sports in school and we don't do that here. But when we go to uh, high school, we can go to a program that has focus on handball or focus on football or just focus on like developing individually. And I remember thinking of that and I applied to a few schools and then uh, there was this one school that actually called my mum. It's a team called Allingsås and it's the best team in Sweden or was then at least and it's still like at, at the top. I remember going there and I was, I remember I was the smallest kid and I remember just playing my heart out. I remember sitting, we were living in like a, a little hostel or something with everyone else. I remember sitting there because I was the first one there with a couple of mates that also had applied. And I, it was just like two metre beasts coming in one after the other from like towns where handball is the shit. I was like, how the fuck am I going to play against these guys? How am I going to like show that I'm good when these guys are obviously bigger and better than me? That's what I was thinking. And that, it was like I was putting that little bit of pressure on me. But I think because I was sort of just let everything go, it was like, all right, this isn't going to work out. So I might as well just play my heart out and do whatever I want, what's best for me. I remember that last day of camp or whatever in, on the Sunday when we played matches. I just remember playing so well. I remember the coach that was there to sort of look at us. I remember he gave me personally, shouted my name, Lucas good like three times off the trot but then so I, and then after that I didn't think about it that much and then we went and then we went home and then like a couple of weeks later I got a phone call at school I was doing woodwork or something I remember in the class and I went out and I was like oh, hello this is Lucas and he was like oh hey this is um I think his name was Anders Anders from uh Alan Sosa and uh, we would like to give you a place here at school if you would want it and I was like are you serious I was like my first reaction was, all right, this is what I'm going to do now. And then second reaction was, okay, is this really something that I've got to do? Or is this really something that I want to do? I just sort of started questioning it. And then it was like, then I had to move again. And then I had to live there. And like 15 years old, living on your own isn't really that something you want to do. And then mum and dad were starting to talk, maybe we should move with you. if This is something that you really want. And it was just... Everything just sort of added up to being not feeling good in my heart. And it was just something that said it wasn't the right time. That time would come, it would be later on in life. Since then, things have gone very differently. But it's always something I think about sometimes. Just on that, when we spoke off air, you spoke about this feeling of great overwhelming or overwhelmment, probably not even a word, but this feeling of being overwhelmed about having to make that decision and you were kind of getting very upset and you were talking to your parents about it, even though they were very supportive. How has that decision shaped your life going forward? Are you someone that still sometimes struggles to make big life decisions or are you more self-confident in making the decisions because of the struggle you went through in your mind because of that moment? It's crazy thinking about it now. It's really crazy because then it was like everything. It was like this or nothing like such a big decision for a 15 year old and like your world so much smaller when you're 15 compared to 24. I remember that it was such a big thing for me I just remember I was sit I was sitting in mum and dad's bedroom on the floor and I just was in tears I was like I don't know what to do I don't know what to do and it just because it was like the opportunity of a lifetime but I didn't know it wasn't an automatic ticket to the top it was like it was going to be so much work as well it just felt like so one part of me said I should respect this offer and I should take it because it's such a nice offer and I never thought it, was, it could be my only opportunity at becoming a professional sportsman maybe but then now that I think I'm quite happy that I didn't do it because I know a lot of people that went there and I know that it didn't lead to them becoming professionals it takes so much more than just getting into the right school to become professional you have to have the right mindset you have to have the right 
work ethic you have to be you have to prioritize right and where I was in my life then I, I wasn't ready to make those sacrifices and I think it's sort of helped me that decision with other tougher life decisions because it sort of gives me a bit of perspective of like take your chance and don't take your chance a lot of life decisions in the end of the day I think is all down to timing and like how it fits in your life that way it wasn't the right timing for me at that point and maybe if it would have been like two years later and I would have been a bit older and maybe played a bit more and maybe just knew myself a bit more I would have maybe taken the opportunity and maybe would have been more capable of living by myself but when it comes to like taking life decisions now it doesn't really affect me but I'm sure that that experience has given me some sort of perspective later on in life you played handball until you were 19, so pretty much most of your teenage and young adult years. How did you feel when you retired, given how much of your identity was shaped and built around the sport? Did you have to redefine who you were? It was tough. I stopped because I just didn't feel the enjoyment anymore. And it just felt like it was becoming more of a job than a, an outlet for leisure. And I just felt so tired. There were so many tr practices and matches and away and you have to go go here, go there, stay after school and go to training and then come home late. And it was just taking its toll on me and I just didn't want to live that. I think that was my first encounter with proper mental health issues because I think it was just draining my energy and it was just draining every part of my life. I just wanted to go home and sleep, to be honest. And I remember finishing or stopping and it was like all this free time that you had on your hands. It was weird. It was like, Okay, now I'm not the kid that, or I'm not, I'm not the guy that plays handball anymore. I'm just this guy that goes to this school and that's about it. And I think, like, the biggest part was within myself. It wasn't like my identity towards others. I knew I had relationship with friends, family, whatever, and it was, it was good and it was fine and I had the support I needed. But it was like within myself. It was like, who am I now? What am I going to do with all this spare time? Is this the right decision? And it took me a while to sort of get to grips with that and get to grips with not being the handball guy or a sport guy. And it took its toll on me. And I remember we were writing in school when this was happening. We were going to do like an essay and uh, we all got to pick our essays. And since I was doing like sort of psychology courses, I thought I'll do something on that. And like how a sport can help people gain an identity and like find their place in the like a... Uh, a world where they might not know where their place is. So I did a piece on the sport and identity and interviewed a few people. And it was it was really interesting. It was like something that helped me as well, like seeing how people felt when finishing a sport or how they felt while playing the sport and how it made them felt or how they made, made them feel when they stopped and it sort of just turned their life upside down. For me as well, it was like, all right, I have to find something new. Where am I going to put this energy, all this energy that I have? Let's reflect on your handball journey now, Lucas, as a final question. How do you think it's shaped you into the person you are today? And what has it taught you about yourself? See, I think all sports, any kids should do sport. They should just find something that they think is fun. And if it's a team sport, then I think it's even better because you get to learn, you get to meet a lot of people and then you sort of form a group and you form this sense of unity that is hard to get anywhere else. It's like you against them in a positive way, not like a negative way. And it's, so you build this group and you practice together and you spend all these hours. And then if you win a game, it's like euphoric because you've done all this work, working up towards that. And I think just like learning how to speak with other people, learning, like meeting, like learning to be respectful against your opposition. And like, when we got older, we got to know the people we were playing against as well. It was always sort of a respectful thing. And I think it's just a good way. And I, I remember it was just a good way for me to get my head off stuff, like get my mind off other things that were happening and just release those endorphins in your brain. But then it's also, it's just sort of shaped me. It's made me confident because, I don't know, it just gave you another, another thing that you were good at. Make you confident. It makes you happy because running around a lot is really good. It makes you happy. Everyone should do it. And just getting friends for life just by playing a sport all these positive things just spill over to other parts of your life it becomes a really healthy kind of thing to have in your life 
We talked about Lucas, the handball player. Let's talk about your own journey now, mate. So first off, and I ask all my special guests this question, walk me through your early life, teenage years, and whether looking back, do you think you had any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Lucas we meet here? Looking back, I've had a bit of a different upbringing than maybe most. I've lived in three different countries while growing up and learned three different languages. So I was born in Sweden, moved to England when I was two. Then when we lived there for a while, mum and dad decided to move to Cyprus after that for three years. So when I was about eight, we moved to Cyprus. And then when I was about 12, we moved back to Sweden. That has obviously had an impact on who I am and like meeting all these different cultures and having to fit in like time after time. So you sort of get good at it when you get used to it. So I would say that the, my formative years, like the teenage years have been in Sweden. So I would call myself probably mostly Swedish, but obviously I still always cherish this English part that I have in me. And it shows quite clearly sometimes that I am English as well. I follow this account on Instagram called British Memes, and I find them so funny sometimes. But if I show my friends, they don't understand the jokes always. That is a British part of me. It's quite funny, actually. No, so growing up, moving to all these different countries and meeting all these different people, having to fit in and having to do all these kind of things, you sort of learn quite a lot in the process, even whether you like to or not. And nowadays, I can feel, I feel like I can get into any group any possible group I want and fit in in one way or another because I've had to do it time and time again in growing up. As a child, how did you find uprooting your whole life every few years at a time? Was it normalised or did you still have that detachment, anxiety or fear about leaving your friends in that country each time you had to do it? No, obviously I was little and I didn't really understand the bigger picture like mum and dad did and they Obviously, they felt, they've said that they felt a bit guilty sometimes doing it, but they knew that it was for the better good, like the greater good. Say, for example, the clearest example, I would say, is when we moved from Cyprus, and I was starting to get a bit older, soon to be a teenager, and they just thought that Sweden has better opportunities for a teenager than Cyprus has, because Cyprus is such a small country, not as well developed as Sweden. Sweden has free school, free university, all that they just wanted to sort of give me the best start in my teenage years and it was like a lot for the sport as well so like they wanted wasn't a lot of sports teams in cyprus in the same sense as it is in england and sweden they wanted me to do something like that as well so i started like as soon as i got got to sweden i started playing football and handball straight away even if i couldn't they didn't know the language obviously i thought it was hard at the time but then when you move and when you like in get into a new school and stuff, you sort of forget about that. You told me that having these perspectives from other countries and learning about other people obviously enabled you to think bigger when it came to life goals and ambitions versus perhaps some of your friends. What did you mean by that? I'm not sure. It just feels like sometimes that people are just sort of happy with being where they are and they don't have this itch and I've got the itch. I don't feel happy being in the same place for too long or if there's nothing going on now with COVID, this is a nightmare for me because I like being social. I like things going on. I like meeting new people. I like doing all these things that you can't do now. And I just found that when I was talking to my friends, especially growing up in Sweden, in the middle of Sweden, called Kisnahamni, was a lot of them were like, no, nah, I just want to maybe buy a house here, live here, maybe move in with my wife when I get one. While I was thinking, I want to see the world, man. I want, to, I, want to do, I want to do as many things as possible before I have to settle down, before I have to be in this house or like have, get a kid and job and have all these responsibilities. I want to be young when I'm young. That was befuddling for me that not everyone had. Then again, you have to respect everyone's views. Despite what you said, just now about being very sociable and wanting to kind of meet new people you describe yourself as to me anyway as someone who's quite naturally introverted and quite shy did having to keep making new friends and establishing new social groups maybe develop your social skills push you out of your comfort zone and give you that social aspect that you have now yeah for sure I remember when I was little I was so shy and I can still be shy now don't get me wrong it's sort of like I can be shy as a first impression but if someone would come up and talk to me then I would be really happy and I would like talk to him so I wouldn't say I might have 
been a bit unclear, but I'm not introverted. I get I definitely gain energy by meeting people, and obviously you have to charge your battery sometimes by yourself. But then my natural state is go out meet people then it'll make you happy. But I remember being younger, my mum said that you missed out on so many things because you were too shy. You didn't dare talk to these other kids or you didn't dare to do this or you didn't dare to do that. Obviously, gradually, I started noticing that I have to. I have to do this if I want to do this. I have to go talk to this person if I want to make a friend or I have to at least try. And it's sort of putting me out of my comfort zone so many times like that. It just sort of naturally developed me as a person and it obviously made me more sociable. And I think that it's really important to meet other cultures and meet different types of people. And I think that just develops you as a person by just talking to a lot of people. There are, of course, lots of positives of living in different countries growing up, as we discussed. However, there are also quite a lot of difficulties to overcome, which not a lot of people will get who have grown up in one country for their whole life. One quote you said to me really stands out. You said, when I'm in England, I'm the Swedish one. When I'm in Sweden, I'm the English one. What did you mean by that? And obviously it's quite a, you said it with quite a bit of a joke, but is there something deeper and maybe it's had a mental health impact on you? I mean, it's, I just think it's a bit funny really, because everyone who knows me, they obviously call me Lucas or a lot of people call me Burns. And then there's a Swedish twist on Burns, a little nickname, they say Buddha sometimes. And it's quite funny because everyone sees me as Lucas Burns. Everyone knows about the Simpsons. So whenever I meet new people, people are like, ah, oh, you know that you've got the same name as that character in the Simpsons? I was like, oh, really? Do I have that? Obviously, I know that. And obviously, everyone in the whole entire world has said that to me. I mean, it's never as clear as when I go to England, when I go to see you and I go to see the family. They're like, this is Lucas, my Swedish cousin, <laughs> or things like that. And it's always clearer then and it's clear because like me and Phoebe are the same age but we have like different ways of seeing the world probably she's lived in London her whole life I've not lived in London my whole life and obviously that shows it's just it's just funny really that I'm never really sort of 100% accepted as one of anyone's own really I'm always a bit different but in Sweden I would say that I'm seen is quite Swedish and no one really notices. Actually, people do notice that I have some sort of accent, but they can't really pinpoint it. And that makes people ask. And then it obviously comes in. And then it's like, oh, you're English. <laughs> Always. I get pigeonholed, either Swedish or English, all the time, really. There are, I'm sure, loads of people who have grown up in different countries and moved about like you and had that sort of weird expat sort of culture life when they were kids. But, of course you wouldn't meet them anyway because you're always always somewhere else. It makes your background quite unique, but have there been any downsides to it, perhaps loneliness or something else? I mean, I'm an only child, and that obviously entails certain things. You know, a lot of people say only children are selfish, or only children are scared of conflict, which is uh, sort of true. I would say I'm a, bit, I'm a bit tight sometimes, but I'm getting better, and I'm, this is something that I actively think about. But it definitely has negative sides to it as well. But it's sort of, you can't take the good and without the bad. And it's sort of something that I learned to accept. It was my life and I had to, I couldn't go being sad about it all the time. I had to sort of just get on with it. And that's a mentality that I sort of had to have. Mum and dad were always there and supportive as well. So it's, I've always had support from home and they've always, always been there. I know that. If everything would go to shit, I've always got somewhere to go. And that's back to mum and dad. And so I think just that safety that I felt really helped. Then all these other negative things, they sort of, you cope with them a bit more because you know you've got that safety. That's really been a theme in my life that no matter what I do, I always have that safety net at home. And that has really, really helped with me, my mental health and everything. Let's talk about university now because in Sweden it's pretty commonplace to have a gap year, as we would say in England, before you go to university. It's not something that everyone in England does. It's sometimes a lot of people who do it are kind of private school kids who want to go to like Malaysia for a year. But what did you get up to? And without sounding completely pretentious, what did you learn about yourself during that year? It's actually really common for people not to go to university at all as well, or people that take multiple gap years. It's not the same... I don't know what you can say. It's not the same pressure to go to university as is 
maybe in England, what I've seen anyway. But this gap year, so I knew I wasn't going to go to school. I really wanted to do something fun. I mean, traveling is good, could have done that, but I didn't really have enough money. I applied for a lot of jobs and then my mum said, I've got this. My mum used to work uh, work as a teacher for waiting school. And he said, I've got this bloke that is working up in the Swedish mountains called Salem. He's working here. You should send your CV to him. And I did, and I got a job there in the Swedish mountains. So I stood out at the bottom of a ski slope in a kiosk with a barbecue. And I was just flipping burgers and sausages, hot dogs, and selling beer few drinks and things like that and that was mine i was the boss of that place it was hard at times because it was so cold and it was outside you got used to it and it was really there i started to learn how to work properly and like just get this mentality that you need when working that i I know that a lot of young people they don't really know what it is like to work they think it's going to be fun all the time but it's not and it just sort of formed my mentality to say okay but i have to work hard here and not a lot of people are going to notice it. But if I work hard and I do it for myself, that's going to make me happy. So I did. I kicked on. And then after that, I, I got contacted by, or I contacted a bloke that has a, a really nice restaurant on the Swedish West Coast, which is really nice in the summer. And then I started working at a restaurant there. And then I got into university off the back of that. And it was this year that I had was really good. I really felt sort of energized to go back to school. And I knew that I was going to do it. I just didn't know when. But this year, without any school, really gave me motivation to go back to school. And like I've earned a living for myself. I've lived away from mum and dad. So I knew that I could do that and uh, earn a lot of money, learn how to work hard and just learn how to like deal with things on my own in a different way. You always deal with things on your own when you're growing up and living at home. But I just found it really good and like uh, it was just really developing for me oftentimes university is more about finding yourself than it is getting a piece of paper with your name on it and wearing a gown and making your family proud lucas what did linchoping university teach you about yourself when you went there and what did you discover university for everyone it feels like a big time in everyone's lives really if you go to university obviously you don't have to I don't, I don't think you have to if you don't want to because you get to meet so many people and you get to meet so many different people and you get to learn quite a lot of things and you get to go to all these events and all these parties where you go there as a kid and then you come out an adult I'm not out yet but it definitely feels like when I got there when I was 20 or when I got here when I was 20 my view of the world as you may say might may have been very different to what it is now obviously a lot of things have happened in the world since but I just think it's helped me And I think it helps a lot of other people that I've experienced find what they're interested in and what makes them tick. You sort of build an identity within yourself and not just from different bits and pieces that are outside. You start getting to know yourself for who you are as well. I don't think it's just the whole university. I think it's like living by yourself for the first time, maybe a bit, and meeting a lot of people and learning all these different things. And you start sorting out what's important for you and what not that important and it's like really developing before christmas 2020 with the pandemic still going strong and lockdowns very much a global phenomenon you said to me this was the lowest you've ever felt when it comes to your mental health if you could just tell me when these feelings of depression began why they were triggered i probably know the obvious reason but why they were triggered and how that impacted your mental health it was really weird because it all started like we're off with a little feeling of not being too happy about the situation but that it's just because of covid and it's because in sweden it's really common with seasonal depression where because it gets so dark in the winter a lot of people feel affected by the darkness like it gets dark before you even get home and it's dark when you wake up it's only light between nine o'clock and half past two at the worst so it's not a lot of light and you don't that's why funny thing as soon as the sun comes out in sweden everyone you see so many people everyone's sitting outside even though it's like minus one degrees everyone will be sitting outside because it's sun's out we worship the sun when it's out but it was just like a feeling of feeling off and i didn't have too much to do in school so i wasn't that stimulated and it was not a lot of things to do otherwise and then i came from the summer i was working at a restaurant and meeting people every day all the time every day and so many people and then I went to meeting no one 
and it just really took its toll on me this sort of shock of two different contrasting things and then didn't have too much doing school so I wasn't that stimulated there was nothing going on and then I was together with, with my girlfriend then and we were having problems which obviously was because of different reasons but one big reason was because I was starting to feel this feeling that was growing within me and it sort of just spilled over to her so we ended up breaking up and it took a long time and I think there was something that needed to change and I was waking up in the morning and then going straight back to sleep because I woke up looked around and was like okay what am I going to do now I've got nothing to do so I just turned around and fell asleep again but then you start feeling okay now I've waited the day because now it's one o'clock no no there's no point in doing anything and then I started thinking about the future and I was starting to think okay now I'm going to get my degree I've been at school for five years and now I don't know what's going to happen that was also something I could see people so looking for jobs I could see people getting jobs and I was like what am I doing I'm not doing anything why, why am I not doing this but then all these things it just sort of drained my energy and just couldn't do anything because I just felt so down in the dumps and then I think the turning point was almost when me and my girlfriend broke up and I sort of started thinking, okay, you can't keep on living your life like this, Lucas. Something has to change and maybe that change maybe is the starting point of feeling better. So and then I went home early. So I went home in the beginning of December because we didn't have to be at school or anything. So I went home and just spent some time with my mum and dad and spent some time with some uh, like friends that I don't really meet that often when I'm at uni and just sort of change of scenery and it helped me so so much this feeling of not being depressed again is so good you just feel like okay now I'm starting to find a bit of meaning in my life I'm starting I can find things that make me happy again and then all that sort of just generates more positive energy and then you can start doing what you might have wanted to do when you were but just had the feeling that you couldn't start when you're depressed but then you get happy again everything just sort of comes out of you in a different way and that was like one of the best feelings I've had for a while was coming up it felt so long that autumn before Christmas from September to December it felt like a year I've got one more quote I wanted to read out from you which you told me off air mate you said it's hard enough to be truthful to other people but it's even harder to be true to yourself how did that play into this period of mental health you were having that is something that I've recently discovered that it's really, really important to be honest and truthful to yourself. And even though you might be feeling some bad feelings, you have to acknowledge them and you can't just think, I'll just put them to the side and they'll, they'll be gone when I come back or something like that. When I was talking to my psychologist in this period, I remember she gave me the example of a big bull. And if you push it underwater, it's always going to come back up. And the same thing with feelings or a balloon or whatever. And the more you push them down, the harder it's going to come back up. That really, really stuck with me somehow. And it just led me to reflect on that I wasn't even honest about what I was feeling. And I wasn't honest. And because I wasn't honest with myself, I wasn't honest with anyone in my surroundings. And especially then, my girlfriend, which was frustrating for her. I was just feeling these feelings that you almost feel ashamed of feeling because like I said I've got a good family I've got loads of friends and I've done five years at university and I'm doing it for free and I should and I've got my own apartment and I've got all these nice and wonderful things in my life but I felt so sad or so depressed that it was almost shameful and it took me so long to say to someone and start talking and start venting these feelings when I started to do that you could feel how other things were starting to unravel and you tied up this one knot, then all these other knots go out as well. It was that, it was like when I started talking to mum, it started to unravel as well and just felt so much better talking about it and being truthful to people because then you're truthful to yourself and saying things out loud like, I'm not feeling good now and it's because of this. And that really helped. Coming out of that period, Lucas, what did you learn about yourself and have you developed any self-care tools or mental techniques that you use in your day-to-day -day life when you might be having a bad day or you might be getting close to that period of depression again? I'll just try and stay positive and say positive things and talk to friends because everyone's having a bit of a tough time now and since COVID is it's been so prolonged and I know the vaccinations are out and 
and stuff like that. But it makes everyone feel a bit more sad just not being able to do what they want to do at any given moment. For me, I try and stay positive. I try to go to the gym at least four times a week because I think exercise is really good for your mental health. And I think it's really good to like have some that one thing to do. And I've been trying to keep a routine. And I've been trying to get up early and make it feel like I do stuff with my life and not just sit at home. And, and I've got the opportunity to do that as well because I get to sit at an, at an office because I'm doing my master's thesis together with a company. Just that is massive for me to have somewhere to go every morning is so important. And that's something that I learned about myself after this period was that I think it was just sort of transitioning into adulthood in a different way as well. I mean, I'm an adult, but am I really an adult <laughs> at 24? It's hard to say, but just finding these things that make you happy and it doesn't always have to be a big thing or it doesn't have to be a big life-changing thing, but having a routine and exercising is a really good tool and just trying to stay positive and talk. If you're feeling down a day, just talk about it straight away to anyone. Ring your mum, ring your dad, ring your friends, whatever. Just being truthful as well and truthful to yourself, as I said. Given I am interviewing a family member on this episode, I thought I'd add one more section in here because before we have our mental health chat, I want to talk about us sort of growing up together as cousins. We didn't really see each other at all, did we, until you started having holidays here when I was in, I think, my university years. What are some of your favourite memories of this time? I even took you out clubbing to XOIO once, which you said was a lot different to Swedish club. Was that a bit of a culture shock for you? It was fun. I remember going there and you took me there. I remember first, he was like, what are you going to drink? You said, vodka coke. I was like, are you serious? And he was like, it's just coke, isn't it? I was like, it tastes horrible, man. No one drinks vodka coke in Sweden. That was a little bit funny. And then, and then when I said it to mum, mum said, yeah, all English people drink vodka coke. I was like, really? Just that was a bit of a culture shock. And then I remember, so we had a bit of pre-drinks and then we went to the club and I remember... It was so it was so loud. It was so many people. Imagine that now. It would have been so good, but crazy. But I remember I had a really good time and it was fun. It was a good DJ. I remember it was good music and we had a lot of fun dancing. <laughs> and I remember you you said <laughs> you two were joking with me. You said the sharks are biting. You remember that? No, I was probably drunk. You said that there was a few girls checking me out because I had this long hair. Are you like the sharks in nibbling? Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. You had no idea. You had no idea. I had no idea because it was so loud and I couldn't see or hear. Or I had too many things to think about. It felt like there was a queue of them. Yeah, that's the thing. But no one came up. <laughs> None of the girls came up. I was completely oblivious to that, and I normally I'm I pride myself on being able to pick up on signals that are very discreet. But that that time it was too much to take in man but then uh, obviously when I lived in England and we came to London I remember we hung out once and played I don't know FIFA or something when we were really young I remember then you were just going to start uh, the school that you had to take two strains and a bus and a I don't know uh, scooter to so I remember that was different but then I remember now coming over and seeing the whole family it's a bit overwhelming because everyone's so loud and I'm obviously loud as well but I'm nothing compared to some of the people in our family it's all sort of culture shock that comes every time and I'm not used to seeing everyone like everyone else's and I'm not used to seeing all my cousins like everyone else is there because you see each other all the time you had like a much closer relationship with Nan for example and and everything, all that comes a bit more naturally to you because that's what you've known all your life. While me being here over in Sweden, not meeting you all the time and not having those same experiences, it's obviously, I'm always like excited to see you guys and, and that bit. Obviously, it drains a bit more energy than it would for maybe one of you to spend a day with a fam. But I always think it's fun, especially like at Christmas when we were there. It was really fun. It was just a nice experience. And it's nice to sort of get to know your family a bit more because I've never really sort of had this big family. It's always been me, mum and dad. And we've got a bit of family here and a bit of family there and a bit of family there. And you get to meet them, but I've never really had that close. Definitely. It is a bit tough. Say uh, at Christmas, I remember sitting there. Mum was like, why don't you go do this? Why don't you go talk with them and I was like, oh, I'm happy just sitting here for a while because I need to sort of 
because it's different. It's like the language barrier is it's so many different things that sort of play in. And I want to be as like as polite and respectful as well as possible. And then maybe that's why I go into my shell a bit sometimes if we have family gatherings. I think, to be honest, mate, family gatherings can be draining for everyone, especially with how loud people are. And people don't obviously realise that when I say to people outside of us that I'm actually not the loudest person in my family and people just like recoil in horror as if like there are <laughs> the thought of people who are louder than me for sure every time you're over here people think we're brothers when we're out together or you and my brother are brothers listeners can't see that resemblance but it's quite uncanny at times isn't it I think you're in denial a bit until you went to that Arsenal game with my brother wasn't you do you want to explain that story I mean I think I look a bit more like Robert than I, than I do you a little bit more. It was so funny. So was that we were over? I don't know. I don't know what it was. February maybe. I remember. I mean, I'm an I'm an Arsenal supporter. Don't hate me. And I've always really wanted to go to a game. And then all of a sudden, Teresa, your mum, comes and says, "We got two tickets." It was like, okay, nice. And then <laughs> Rob was like, "I'll take him." <laughs> and, you're like, and you're like, "What? I wanted to take him." So Rob was quickest there so we went and then we uh, went to the stadium he, he knew the way and it was like befuddling I, I didn't understand anything really walking in London streets and it was like going fast just the vibe of the whole London city is different to where I live it's like everything's so fast paced everyone walks no one cares if you do this or do that for me I'm just sort of walking around like taking in all these new things and he's just walking and then we went to this game and it was really fun. Arsenal lost, it was against Man City. We got Koscielny sent off in 10th minute for a red card. So it wasn't the best game to go watch. James Milner scored the winning goal and that was says a lot about that Arsenal team back then. But it was so cool to see like Arsene Wenger just walking down there at the touchline. It was like so cool to see all these, the Emirates live and it was so fun. So after this day of all these new things, we sat on the train back home and I don't know, it's like a zoo. It's like so many people. When people started getting off and we were on the train and we were sitting, like, not talking, just taking it easy because there's been a lot a lot that has happened. I looked in the window and it gives us a reflection. I was like, and I looked down and I looked up and I looked at Robert and I looked at it again. I was like, we, we are, we do look a lot alike, don't we? And he's like, yeah, I know. It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> And then we didn't say anything after that. <laughs> it was just like a moment. We shared that moment. It was just quite funny. When you come over here, does it take you a while to feel like English again? Or is it quite quick? 100%. It takes me a long time, I think. But I remember once when we were over for quite a bit. It's so weird because it, all of a sudden my thoughts turn English and my main language turns English. And it's quite weird because normally... It's Swedish, and obviously there's a few things in English I think about. And I don't. It's not like I never think in English or never speak English. English is quite common to use here as well. But you get into it. You get into the swing of the English lingo, and you can start like playing around with it. I like to play around with languages. And when you haven't talked it for a while, you have to sort of shine up on. Like you're a bit rusty. You have to get into the swing to it so that everything goes smoothly. And it does get a bit draining in the first few days, but then it sort of comes naturally. It's weird. It's hard to explain. Our final topic of conversation, Lucas, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter and chat about our mental health. So first of all, and you can include the worldwide circumstances we are living in, or you can exclude them if you want, but how would you say your mental health is at the moment? been good generally the last few months but i've had a bit of a dip this week actually you know this feeling of groundhog day that it feels like you're doing the same thing day in day out and everything feels a bit meaningless i've been struggling a bit with that and feeling that i need to i need to do something to get out of that feeling but it's also a period but i'm just trying to be honest about it and talk to like the bloke i'm writing my thesis with we talked about it yesterday and he said he's feeling about the same thing, like the same feeling. So, But otherwise, it's generally good. I'm feeling good. I've got my future planned out a bit better than before as well. So that feels good as well. And if you felt comfortable saying, what mental health issues or conditions, if any, do you live with and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life? 
So I am a classic overthinker. I can feel these feelings of anxiety in my stomach area. It, sometimes it's just there and sometimes it's because you slept bad or sometimes it's because you're worried about something that what I really struggle with is the anxiety and the motivation part sometimes that you feel a bit down in the dumps. That's my main struggle. I'm confident and all that. I've never had like issues with not liking myself, which a lot of people have these days, especially Instagram. But I, I've always had some sort of self-love. For me, it's easy, but it's really hard for some people. And I've started to learn that. And that's something I don't take for granted, actually. What age do you think you were when you first realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? When did you become self-aware, do you think? I have to say like maybe at 17, 18, somewhere around there. Because before that, I, was, I don't know, I was a bit oblivious to it, to be honest. I didn't know a lot. It was just like never a problem, really. And then it's like when you start getting into adulthood, things change. And I started like noticing that, okay, this isn't just a feeling that I'm going to have now. It's like a general feeling that I've been feeling on a longer ongoing period and maybe something I should think of, like talk to someone about it. And it's like getting to know like these feelings within you when you're young, you're not sure what they are. It's difficult. Can you tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? Who was it with? What impact did it have? And how do you look back on it? Did it feel like a big moment or did it feel like something quite insignificant, easy and normalised? I've always had an open communication with my mum and I'm not really sure when it was, but I remember I'm pretty sure that first conversation was with my mum. And when you say that you don't feel good, the initial reaction from everyone that I've said that is overwhelmingly positive. They, oh no, what, why are you feeling these feelings? They like, they're very supportive and that obviously helps. But I'm, I've always been like this guy that thinks over everything too much before I say to anyone and that's the problem that I have so I have like a problem with sharing my feelings because I feel ashamed or sharing my feelings because I don't think I don't want to bring anyone else down it's these types of feelings that are hard to shake I think but my mum has always 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 been so respectful and supportive of that and I've always had that safe environment. What things do you find in life that trigger your mental health so it could be things people might say it could be a sound it could be a sensation it could be a social environment or have you not figured all of them out yet for sure alcohol is definitely a thing that triggers it 100 percent is probably the worst one it depends it's like when you're hung over sometimes you can just feel this sort of anxiety my psychologist explained it to me as well it's basically you're borrowing happiness from the day before then your brain has to sort of adjust after that so definitely that and then things that I find difficult in school always like, okay, this day is going to be big. I'm going to have to write a lot today. And when you don't feel like you know exactly what is going to happen, feeling of not knowing is a big anxiety trigger for me as well. So like the feeling of not knowing what I'm going to do after the summer is quite a anxiety triggering feeling or like this sense of not knowing is definitely one as well but then i know i haven't figured them all out yet either what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health lucas or help you feel better which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones that haven't uh like going to the gym take a walk get outside i've been really trying to appreciate nature more than what i've done growing up like walking in the woods is really like peaceful and going to the gym and just sort of getting your mind off things for a while and just doing something physical is good and spending time with friends and maybe give some old friend a call that always makes them happy or probably make you happy as well just trying not to overthink as well that is the problem that you can have uh, that i have overthinking stuff it's definitely easier said than done, for sure. As a final question, Lucas, what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or their mental health if they want to do it? So difficult. I know that nowadays it feels like everyone knows a, bit, a little bit more about it. And I think all these things that have felt, say like racism, it stems from people not having knowledge, people being stupid really and it's stupid to sort of shame someone for feeling bad 
And I think it's from society. Society's built up this whole picture of a man and an ideal man for so, so many years. Even though it's people are trying to take the stigma off it a bit, it's still there. And the feeling that a man should be strong and a man shouldn't cry and a man shouldn't be sensitive is a feeling for a lot of people that's hard to shake, me included. And we just have to be more open, like talk with each other. I try and talk to my friends about mental health and like how they're feeling and that, like really ask how you're doing and not just, yeah, good you. Just like, how are you doing? Is it is everything all right? And I think just like trying to not shame people that open up about their feelings and trying to be respectful and also talk about your feelings yourself with someone and try and maybe make people open up that way as well like sharing and then maybe someone will share like the work you're doing with Ven is amazing I think it's really impressive and I just think more and more things like that have been showing up in this modern age so hopefully that will just kick on from there We have come to the end of this episode of Mind on the Game. I want to say a big thanks to my cousin Lucas for being my special guest on this episode and taking me on his handball and mental health journey. As always, thank you to all the vendors who tuned in. Remember, please, if you like what you've heard, give it a share on social media, tell your friends, work colleagues, give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, or if you like what we're doing at Vent, please consider supporting our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Stay tuned for the next episode of Mind on the Game. And remember, it's always okay to vent.